We'll go ahead and grab a Bible and open it to the book of Ecclesiastes. Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verse 16. Ecclesiastes chapter 3 and verse 16. As we begin today, I do want to say thank you for the last few weeks that had to enjoy with the family. We enjoyed the Oregon coast, got to go down to Pacific City and enjoy the beach there. Oh my goodness, beautiful, beautiful country, beautiful beaches they have there. Uh, I got in the water and said, uh, 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 no way, this ain't Florida. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> and Jackson goes and gets in the water and psh, lays in and like, this is great, a little cold, but great. <laughs> and so, uh, yeah, he, uh, <clears throat> and then he wanted a coat after that. So, and then we were also in Boise uh, enjoying some baseball there. Uh, so my son was playing, Preston was playing baseball over in Boise on Jason Jarrett's team, so enjoys that. Uh, we enjoyed that as well. Jackson does send you greetings from camp. Uh, he texted us last night at about 1030 and said, oh yeah, I forgot we're here and it's great. So, uh, <laughs> and so uh, they are enjoying it very, very much. Well, Ecclesiastes chapter 3, beginning in verse 16 and reading through chapter 4, and verse 3. I also observed under the sun, there is wickedness at the place of judgment, and there is wickedness at the place of righteousness. I said to myself, God will judge the righteous and the wicked, since there is a time for every activity and every work. I said to myself, this happens so that God may test the children of Adam and they may see for themselves that they are like animals. For the fate of the children of Adam and the fate of the animals is the same. As one dies, so dies the other. They all have the same breath. People have no advantage over animals since everything is futile. All of us are going to the same place. All come from dust and all return to dust. Who knows if the spirits of the children of Adam go upward and the spirits of animals go downward to the earth. I've seen that there is nothing better than for a person to enjoy his activities because that is his reward. For who can enable him to see what will happen after he dies? Again, I observed all the acts of oppression done under the sun. Look at the tears of those who are oppressed. They have no one to comfort them. Power is with those who oppress them. They have no one to comfort them. So I commended the dead who have already died more than the living who are still alive. But better than either of them is the one who has not yet existed, who has not seen the evil activity that is done under the sun. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your word. Lord, we thank you that even this passage is in Scripture, that we find expression of our souls as we look at injustice, as we look at evil in the world, and evil even in our own hearts, and sin in our own hearts. And Lord, we grieve at these things. And Lord, I pray that you would, through these words, give expression to our grief, but Lord, also I pray that you would help us to interpret these words in light of the whole of Revelation, in light of the cross especially, where the justice and mercy of God come together in Christ Jesus. 
So, Lord, speak to us as we unpack your word today. Keep us tethered to the text. Lord, we thank you for it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You know, when we consider the issue of justice, we're, we're really treading on ground that makes a lot of people really nervous today. Because we are using a word, justice, that is used in so many different ways. When you hear someone say the word justice, I am calling for justice, or I want justice, you need to ask them a question. You need to ask them, what do you mean by that? <laughs> what are you filling that word with? And like they say in the Princess Bride, I don't think that word means what you think it means. <laughs> so often it's true in our world and our society. What do you mean? What do you mean by the word justice? And what does the Bible mean by that word? We utilize that word even as a nation. When we say the Pledge of Allegiance, we say with liberty and what? Justice for all. The preamble to the Constitution talks about establishing justice. If you had to, if you hopefully you've read it, or maybe you had to memorize that in high school or junior high. I think about people who use the term social justice or the justice system, or perhaps Aragorn standing at the gates of Mordor saying, let the Lord of the dark lands come forth that justice may done, be done upon it. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> Some use the term social justice. And the term social justice oftentimes, not always, but oftentimes, comes from a postmodern ideology. And it embraces various, what's called liberation theologies, as the lens by which they view the gospel. The gospel in this view, in the, overwhelm, the overarching social justice view, but even that term, you need to ask people, what do they mean by that? But many times, what they mean when they use this word social justice is that the gospel in this view is that people are oppressed by the domination system of society. And the church is established to proclaim liberty to the oppressed, empowerment to the downtrodden or disadvantaged classes in society. The primary lens by which that view understands the gospel is through the exodus and they see that the gospel is primarily a political gospel and that the church is primarily a political animal or a political organization now that view i believe is an unbiblical understanding of justice and the gospel and should be rejected. We don't hold primarily a political understanding of the gospel, at least in this world. On another sense, we do hold a political understanding of the gospel because we believe that the solution to the injustices in society is when a king returns riding on his horse with a sword in his hand to bring justice upon this land. And in this world, and thankfully to those who belong to Christ Jesus, justice has already been done upon us in Christ Jesus. As the end time verdict of the ages has already been rendered not guilty because of your faith in Jesus Christ. That is good news. 
Now, the social justice gospel in particular should be rejected. However, in our rejection of liberation theology, we need to be careful not to avoid issues of biblical justice altogether. We need to understand what the Bible says about these issues and have a biblical application to the issues of justice and mercy in our world. We need to be careful that we remember the gospel. What is the gospel of Jesus Christ? The gospel of Jesus Christ is that a holy God, the holy God, loved sinful humanity, and we are the workers of cosmic injustice. And God's justice means that according to his holiness, according to his righteous character, he will judge and punish sin. He will deal with sin. And that's good news when we look at society, and it's bad news when we look at our hearts. Amen? When we look at the guy in the mirror, we're like, my goodness, God is going to deal with sin. But the good news of the gospel is that God loves us. God is going to bring justice upon this world. And God brings those two together in Christ Jesus. God becomes man. He dwells among us. He lives in absolutely perfect life. And this perfect man, this perfect God man, dies on the cross for our sin where the love and the justice of God come together, poured out on Christ Jesus. The end time verdict of the ages is rendered on all of those, towards all of those in Christ who trust in him by faith so that when God sees you, he sees that the justice and righteousness and mercy and love of God have already been poured out on you, your sin, on Jesus on your behalf, and your sins are covered. And your sins, your debt has been paid. Jesus rose again from the grave to show that his payment indeed was accepted by God and as the first fruits of all who trust in him who will one day be resurrected as well. That is the good news of the gospel, period. We add nothing more to the gospel of Jesus Christ. It is a sufficient salvation. Now we know as well that Saving faith and the gospel is always by faith alone. But saving faith is never alone. And that's where our understanding of biblical justice, at least this aspect of it, comes in. What is the outflow of the gospel in our lives and in society? What is it that we are to be doing in this world as beacons of hope in this dark world, proclaiming that there is a kingdom coming where righteousness, justice, and mercy will roll down like waters, and we currently live in an outpost of the kingdom of Christ that is coming, and that outpost of the kingdom of Christ that is coming is called the church. And we are gathered together as an echo, as a community of hope, projecting what it will one day be like. Yes, in all of our imperfections as a church, as people who are still in process of God refining in His holiness, but God is at work in His church, proclaiming to the powers, according to Ephesians 3, proclaiming to the powers that indeed this kingdom is coming and powers your days are numbered. 
Praise God for the glory of His grace. Now, what is biblical justice? We talked about social justice. What is biblical justice? Biblical justice is not some simplistic slogan. Biblical justice is first and foremost that God is holy. We are sinners. God is just to punish sin. But in our lives, in the outworking of this justice in our lives, biblical justice is working as Christians saved by grace to bring the gospel and its implications to bear on society. I love what Kevin DeYoung says in his definition of biblical justice. He says it's the following. He says, Biblical justice is following the rule of law, showing impartiality, paying what you promised, not stealing, not swindling, not taking bribes, not taking advantage of the weak because they are too uninformed or too unconnected to stop you. Now, I think that's a good definition, but I don't think that definition quite goes enough because it says a lot of things that we're not supposed to do as believers. Don't swindle anybody, don't take anybody's stuff, and don't take advantage of people who are too uninformed to stop you. What are we to do in addition to these things as an outflow of the gospel? So grounded in the character and the word of God. We're not just to avoid sin in our lives, and that's the extent of our Christianity. What we are called to do as Christians is to be a blessing to those around us who are suffering in a sin-sick society, bringing the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, to a sin-sick and dying world. That is our calling as believers. What have we done for others in His name? Are we caring for widows and orphans in their distress as James defines true religion? Are we offering that metaphoric cup of cold water in the name of Jesus? Are we helping the poor, feeding the hungry, caring for the sick, visiting the imprisoned, defending the weak, confronting racism, uh, saving the unborn, helping moms who choose life, and supporting adoptive families? Are we doing these things? These things that show we live of a kingdom that is not of this world. <laughs> And we are here as outposts of the kingdom of Christ, as the dawning of this new creation to show what it will be like by our loves and our cares and the things that grieve us, showing what it is like to live as citizens of this new kingdom, as citizens living under the authority of the Savior who died and rose again from the grave. So having a community like this in the church, should, or having a church in a community should be a blessing to that community. So how does this passage help us? In light of the Holy Scripture, looking back from the New Testament, looking back on this passage, understanding what this passage is talking about, how does this passage in Ecclesiastes help us to understand that justice is meaningless without Jesus? Three points that I want you to see from this passage. Number one is this. We should grieve over the abundant injustice in a sinful world. We should grieve over the abundant injustice in a sinful world. In Ecclesiastes 3, 16 through 18, verses 16 through 18, Solomon, from his palace, grieves about his perspective on injustice 
in society. Remember in verse 16, we see a critical phrase that we've seen many times, in fact, over 30 times throughout the book of Ecclesiastes. He uses the phrase, under the sun. Remember, he is limiting his perspective to a this-world perspective only. If this life is all there is, then I am grieved about the injustice that is done. Much more, Solomon on his side of the cross can look at the injustices in the world, the injustice in society, and say, God, why are you passing over these sins? God, why are they getting off scot-free? Why are they allowed, why is this allowed to happen against your glory and your name and your words and the radiance of your perfections, the God who created it all? Why is this allowed to continue? And he's grieved over these realities, the injustices caused by sin. Solomon says that there is wickedness in verse 16. Look at that. He says, there is wickedness at the place of judgment. There is wickedness at the place of righteousness in the place where you should get justice, in the place where there should be judgment, in the government, in the in the institutions God has blessed society with, in the family, in the government, in the church, he looks at it and he sees injustice, wickedness. This should not be. Solomon grieves over it in his day. We should grieve over it in our day. We should grieve when we look at society today. When we look into our own government we find unjust and unrighteous legislation. We see utter confusion on what it means to be a woman <laughs> and what it means to be a man. Yeah, sometimes I laugh about that. Sometimes I cry because I see what my kids are growing up in. I mean, they don't know. I mean, my kids know, but my kids today don't know. That's an injustice. And they would be brought up in a world of such confusion. It's horrible. Even with Roe v. Wade being overturned, there's still injustice being done on the unborn. Injustice being done on pro-life clinics. I hear the words of one of our politicians from the East Coast this week proclaiming that pro-life clinics are just lying to people and ought to be shut down. That's an injustice. How dare they? Wickedness. A person who stands up and says that we ought to have free speech. Huh. We grieve that those standing for life must fear for their safety in a culture of death. There's injustice being done on a generation with such confusion on gender and sexuality. These are injustices. They ought to grieve our hearts. And we ought to speak up about it. You might say, yeah, you're getting political, Pastor. No, I'm just preaching the Bible, right? Okay. <laughs> I'm just preaching the Bible. Consider the courts. The other day I was watching Jeopardy. And one of the contestants was a public defender. And he won. And then he said, I'm not very good at winning things. <laughs> That's not a good thing. 
if one who is appointed as someone who is to defend the people who can't afford the legal system openly says, I'm not very good at this stuff, winning stuff. I know it's kind of a joke, huh? You know, he's trying to be funny, but I find it tragic. We know we live in a world where in so many times in our court system, in our society, where money talks, money buys verdicts, money buys elections. Our system is so often less about justice and about having the right lawyer, the right connections, and the most money, the most funded referendums win, and even good politicians, when they get to Washington, they often get washed in the cash and cleansed from their good intentions. We ought to grieve about these things. I grew up in the 80s and 90s, and I heard a lot of promises from a lot of politicians. <laughs> and my goodness, I won't get too much into that, amen? <laughs> Think about the school shootings. Uvalde, Texas. If you want to look at an injustice, if this world is all there is, why did the shooter face the same fate as those children who died? If that's all he gets, that is a cosmic injustice for what he did to those kids. If this world is all that there is, you see where I'm going with that? <laughs> if this world is all that there is, that is an injustice. Because he's not going to pay for what he did to those families who will never be the same. And that community where Chuck Willingham actually grew up, and they will never be the same. We think about our society with the murder rates going up, 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 the support of law and good police and first responders going down, down, down. It's an injustice. We live in a world where racism still exists and seems to be growing in our world and society, but the very solutions proposed by our sinful society often just drive us further apart. It's an injustice. And Satan, listen, Satan is very good about offering solutions that turn out to be wedges. Satan is very good at offering solutions that turn out to be things that just drive us further apart and make the problem worse. We look at our society and its economic injustice where inflation is running rampant and causing suffering in the days ahead and even in lives right now. Our spending habits as a nation and a debt burden we are leaving to future generations is out of control. That is an injustice. It's an injustice. And nobody wants to do anything about it. If you try to live as a Christian in the workplace today, so many times you are made to listen to things that are total ungodly propaganda. I know you sat in those meetings. I don't do it now because I'm, you know, we don't have those kind of meetings at our church. But, um, uh, but I did work at a, a secular organization for a long time, and I had to sit in a lot of those meetings. And I know what it's like. I'm more of a conservationist or a stewardship guy than an environmentalist, but I think we should grieve at the situation of God's world when we see God's beautiful world trashed. I hate it when I go to a beautiful place and see trash all over the place. That, that grieves my soul. I'm like, it shouldn't be like this. God made this beautiful. Why are you throwing your trash on the ground? See what I mean? 
We ought to grieve at the injustice in the world. Globally, we see injustices being done in the Ukraine as Russian forces decimate a nation. There's injustice against the Uyghurs in China. ISIS hasn't paid for their atrocities that they have committed, at least in full. And each year, Christians are persecuted all over the globe. They are jailed. They are tortured. They are executed for their faith. I could go on and on and on and on. On and to do something about all of these things feels like an impossible game of whack a mole. Like a beat the injustice over here and something else pops over here, and we take that down. Who can take care of all of this injustice? We ought to grieve over the injustice in the world that we see and let that grief drive us to the only solution that there is. God, you've got to do something. God, you've got to intervene. It's the only way. I mean, we can make a little difference in our community. But if it's really to be dealt with, God, you've got to do something. And that grief over the injustice of a sin-sick world should drive us to greater longing and greater hope in Jesus. In that Jesus has dealt with injustice on the cross and he is coming again to once finally and fully deal with injustice as he sets up his kingdom of righteousness peace and joy in the Holy Ghost and the Holy Spirit we ought to grieve over the injustice in the world second point I see from this passage is remember that the ultimate justice is coming. The wicked will not get away from it or get away with it. The ultimate justice is coming and the wicked will not get away with it. So is there any hope that there will be justice? Is there any hope that the wrongs will be righted and the guilty be punished? We know that in the state of the world, it cries out for justice, but it seems like the guilty go unpunished. And if all you have in this li- is this life and this world, your quest for justice will be maddening. That's the problem with the social gospel and the social justice gospel is they're looking for justice and they're looking at it all in a this world time frame and you'll never be able to get it. It's never going to come. It's got to come from a cosmic solution because it has a cosmic problem in the rebellion of our sin and the sin-sick curse that's on the world. God has to deal with it. Look at verses 19 through 21 again. Let's read that again in chapter 3. He says, The fate of the children of Adam and the fate of the animals is the same. As one dies, so dies the other. They all have the same breath. People have no advantage over the animals since everything is futile. All are going back to the same place. All come from dust and all return to dust. Who knows if the spirits of the children of Adam go upward and the spirits of the animals go downward to the earth. I've seen that there is nothing better for a person to enjoy his activities because that is his reward if this world is all there is. For who can enable him to see what will happen after he dies? Good question, I think, is answered in the New Testament. If this world is all there is and bad people die and good people die and that's it, then we're no, we're no better off than the animals. <laughs> that's what he's arguing here for. We're no better off than the animals. 
We all go back to the dust, or we all came from the dust, and we'll all go back to the dust. Verse 18 says, we're no better off than the animals. Because why? Because they have no moral codes. Animals have instinct, but they have no morality. They have no moral codes, no sense of right and wrong. The animal kingdom is, is not really anything like the scene that you see in Finding Nemo about the sharks. <laughs> Where the sharks gather together and they say, We are nice sharks, not mindless eating machines. If I'm to change this image, I first must change myself. Fish are our friends, not food. <laughs> the sharks aren't doing that, they are mindless eating machines. And indeed, nature is red in tooth and claw. And so are we. And so is humanity. So is every one of us. Indeed, the Bible does say there is more after death. The answer from Scripture is absolutely yes. Our longing for justice leads us to the biblical answer, the ungodly will pay it's payday someday the book of hebrews chapter 9 verse 27 says this it is appointed to people to die once and after that the judgment the shooter in uvalde did not get off scot-free he will and has faced the judgment of god that is our hope that justice will be done in this world that justice is coming justice will be done upon it there is a cosmic tribunal there is a judge that every single person will stand before and that is really good news for all of us who have grieved over the injustices of society the catalog that we went over in point one the things that we ought to grieve over we know that because of the gospel of jesus christ that all of these things will be dealt with he will punish sin and that is really good news and it's really terrifying news because he will punish sin on it and the bible is very clear we are all sinners what at first was like, yes, justice is coming. Then if we're really honest, oh my, justice is coming. The Bible is very clear. Romans chapter 3, verses 10 through 12, there is no one righteous, not even one, no one just, no one who understands, no one who seeks God. All have turned away. They've become worthless. There is no one who does what is good, not 
even one. Because of all of this, we deserve judgment. Because of our sin, we deserve judgment. God would not be righteous if he didn't punish sin. God would not be righteous, heaven not a perfect place, if we allowed sin into heaven. Sinners into heaven would stain and ruin a perfect place. As we as sinners are all guilty before God, the end of Ecclesiastes chapter 3 says, who can enable us to see what will happen after we die? That is the good news of the gospel that Solomon longed for in his heart and it would be a son of Solomon, a son of David, an heir of the throne of Israel that would one day come, Jesus Christ, born of a woman, born under the law, God become flesh that would show us the way. Jesus would die on the cross paying for our sins by faith, satisfying the justice of God's, rising again from the grave, so that if you trust in Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord, the good news of the gospel is that the justice of, that you deserve, the punishment that you deserve for your sin has already been meted out in its full that Jesus has already borne the righteous wrath of God on your behalf, and you are pronounced not guilty because not only did Jesus pay for your sin, but Jesus by faith gave you all of the righteousness of God. And that is the good news of the justice and mercy of God coming together in Christ Jesus. If you have never trusted in Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord, that is the gospel of the justice of God. That the justice of God has been satisfied if you will trust in Him by faith. Trust in Jesus Christ today and all of your sins have been paid for on the cross call out to him believe in him that these things are true and call out to him and say god i am a sinner and you are the great savior i turn away from myself i repent of my sins and i trust in you forgive me of all of i've done wrong and god will come jesus will come into your life by his spirit he'll cleanse you of all of your unrighteousness he'll fill fill you with your with his holy spirit and give you eternal life in him for those of us who have already trusted in Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord, the reality of the justice of God ought to grieve our hearts over the injustice of the world, but it ought to gladden our hearts again when we thank God for Jesus. Thank you for the cross. Thank you for that your justice has been poured out on my sin on the cross. And God, I live for you. I owe you everything. That is our heart's response to this good news of the justice of God on the cross. Finally, number three, work for justice and righteousness in the world while longing for the coming of Christ's perfect kingdom. It's an application of the already and the not yet. We have already had the justice of God poured out on us, but we live in a continuing unjust society, sinning against God. So how do we live? We don't just isolate ourselves from the world, but we try to be lights and salt in this world. When we read chapter 4, verses 1 through 3, we also read it through the lens of the cross. 
We know that without the cross, we're dead in our sin and justice continues. We know we have new life in Christ when we see the oppression of evil in the world. The power of the Holy Spirit of Jesus within us drives us as an implication of the gospel to do something about it. To live as citizens of a kingdom that is now and is coming. A kingdom that is present and a kingdom that is still to come. Seeking justice in the world without the gospel of Jesus is meaningless. If you don't get the gospel right, then whatever you do with justice won't be right either. Get the gospel right, and then you can understand how to live as citizens of the kingdom of Christ. Because there is no justice without Christ and the resurrection, without the cross and resurrection. So we live for Jesus in our families, in our neighborhoods, and workplaces. So how do we do this? We go to the prisons, and we proclaim good news to the captives. How do we do this? We go to the Union Gospel Mission to feed the hungry. We teach classes. We help people get on their feet again. We go to U Medical, our own crisis pregnancy center, and we volunteer to help. We become foster parents. We adopt babies. We, we support moms who are, and families who are adopting babies. We help them out. We teach them. We mentor them. We, we help them. We support moms who choose life. We remember that we are called in this world to be... The, fathers to those who live in a very much a fatherless age we teach the word of god we teach righteousness we teach truth to the next generation if they can do algebra 2 they can handle this <laughs> they can they can handle the deep truths because they're being fed deep lies we bring them truth we remember the widows we care for the widows we have over 50 in our church. We care for them. We feed the hungry. We care about the masses displaced by war. We send and we bring the gospel to the nations. We pray for the persecuted church. We're burdened for the lost. We build bridges across racial and economic and social barriers for the sake of the gospel. And we stand up in the public square for righteous laws, for fair treatment of all under the law. We hold people accountable with our voice and our vote. Right or left, red, blue, doesn't matter. This is our standard and we hold people to it. In this nation, we stand up for the Uyghur. We tell the world about Jesus, that in Jesus, love and justice come together. And only in him will our world find the righteous kingdom that it's really longing for. That is our cause. Our cause to bring the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ and its implications following to this world. Now, let me encourage you. You hear a list like that. You're like, oh my, what do I do? I can't do all of that. You're right. <laughs> you're not called to do all of that. But you pick something. You pray about it. You look at your workplace. You look at your neighborhood. You look at your own sphere of it. Where has God placed you in this world? And how is it that God might call you to be a light? And just like that child song says, this little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine right here where I am for the glory of Jesus in this 
dark, sinful, and unjust world. Let's spend a moment and let's meditate on these things after we pray. Let me encourage you, if you need to respond today, if you need to trust in Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord, I'll be right here. I'd love to pray with you and help you to pray. And you trust in Jesus, you trust in the Lord. Or if you need prayer for anything, or if you want to come and pray for this nation or for the injustices in the world, come and pray. You can come and kneel up here. But however you need to respond, you respond. Let's pray, we'll be silent, and then let's respond. Father, we thank you for your goodness and your grace in our lives. And Lord, I pray for this world that we live in. Lord, we see abundant injustice in this world. We know it's evidence of the sinful condition of humanity and our active sinfulness, our active rebellion against God. And Lord, we know we deserve punishment, that we deserve justice. And yet the good news of the gospel is that justice and mercy, grace and love have all been poured out on Jesus by faith for our sins on the cross. We're not guilty in here. And Lord, we have the righteousness of Jesus. And Lord, I pray that you would help us to grieve over the injustices in our own lives, our own sin, and help us to grieve over the sin in our society. And Lord, I pray that as people of the kingdom, that you would help us to live for Jesus in this generation.